Hi everyone, Dave Therian here. Welcome to New Hope Radio. Today we're going to wrap up our series on songs of praise. I hope it was something that inspired you to draw closer to God, sing praises to His name. We began the series noting why we praise Him. Then we talked about praising God through word, song, and even the life that we live can be lived in praise toward God. We noted that all creation praises the Lord. All of nature praises God. And what a beautiful time last yesterday when we were together, how God takes pleasure in his people. Oh, if that's you, God takes pleasures in you, pleasure in you. Today we wrap it up where we're going to see that we can praise God in every place. You know that? Every place. Yeah, church is great. We love to come to church and praise God, but we're not limited to church. We can play, we can praise God anywhere, anytime. Let's see how that works. Let's go right into our Sunday sermon. The great thing about having a relationship with God is that we don't have to go to a specific place to worship Him, to fellowship with Him. We know He did institute the church. That's where His people gather together to sing songs of praise and study His Word and and pray together. So we never want to dismiss the place of the church in our lives. It's vital. But he also made it easy for us to find him anywhere, anywhere at all. Now, God is not in everything. That's called pantheism. It's a belief that God is in the rocks. He's in the trees. He's in the rivers. He's not in everything. But he is everywhere. That's his omnipresence. Everywhere we go, God is already there. He's in that place. He's everywhere present. So we wrap up our series today on songs of joy, wonderful praise songs, happy songs that the people sang to bless and glorify God for the things that he's done for them. So we come to the last psalm in the book, and the last psalm in our series, and I call it, We Praise God in Every Place, because that's what it's about. Now, the psalmist called it something else. Anybody know what the psalmist called this psalm? Take a wild guess. He called it Psalm 150. Very good. But I call it, We Praise God in Every Place. So let's notice in verse 1 where it starts. Praise the Lord. God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. This is a call to earth and heaven. And I noticed, oh, one of the songs we sang today. It's We sang about angels and earth rejoicing in God. Everywhere praises God. The abode of the angels, there's worship. The abode of man, there's worship. The sanctuary is a sacred place where the people of God meet. That's right here. We're in the sanctuary where we meet together with God. The expanse is what's up above. Okay, call that the abode of the angels. But you know what we see here? Praise begins at home. With us, praise begins down here. At home, God's house. We spend a lot of time, hopefully, in God's house. 
And that's interesting, because you know what? Everything begins in the home. You know that? Just like everything begins in the house of God, everything begins in our homes as well. Because the home is a place of safety and security. It's a place of love and affection. It's a place of order and purpose. And then, you know what happens? That home goes out into the community. And then it goes out into the state and into the nation and into the whole world. And it all begins in the home. The home can affect the whole world. What is under demonic attack today? The home. The traditional home. The one that God established. The traditional family. The one that God established. It's under tremendous attack today. People are trying to redefine the home. Redefine the family. This is family. No, that's not family. This is family. And what happens? When you destroy the family, everything else that comes from it is destroyed as well. So praise begins in the house of God. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is the reason why we pray. If you're wondering, why do I have to praise God? This is why his mighty deeds, his excellent greatness. God is omnipresent, but he's also omnipotent, all power. We open up our service after worship over there with a time of prayer. We pray that God would intervene in the lives of people. Why do we do that? Because we believe God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful. And God can do things we can't do. And he can change things we can't change. He can fix things we can't fix. So when we pray, we're calling on the omnipotence of God, the power of God. And for that reason... We praise him. This is God's providence, his intervention, guidance, and his sovereignty over all things. Think of God's providence. I see it as his care over us, um, protection over us, provision over us. Roger Williams, who founded Rhode Island, he established it and called it the capital, Providence, because he understood that it was because of God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's provision, God's protection, that we exist. And he named the capital after him. How nice it would be if our modern-day governments and our officials understood what Roger Williams understood, that God plays a big part over the affairs of men. And if people would just submit to the ways of God, oh, things would be so much better. So much better. We praise him for his, in verse 2, excellent greatness. That's all the things that he does. You know, there's one special thing about God. Everything he does is excellent. I wish everything I did was excellent. I wish some things I did were excellent. But with God, everything is excellent. And you know what that includes? He made you. He made you just the way he wants you. Exactly. That you are excellent in his eyes. Everything he makes is excellence. 
So you never let the world knock you down and tear you down and make you feel less of a person. Because you are God's creation. He made you as you are. He made you when he did. He placed you where he wants you. So we are all the creation of God. And we are the excellent creation of God. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Don't let circumstances dictate to you your worth or your value. No. The fact that you've been created by God, that's where all of the worth and all of the value comes from. You're God's choice. Think about God's greatness. Everything God has ever done, can you count it? Can you count the things that God has done? I say, yeah, you can. You can count everything God has done. If you can count the stars in the sky, you can count everything God has done. If you can count the sand on all the beaches, every grain of sand, then you can count all the things that God has done. You know, the Apostle John, he, when he wrapped up his gospel, he said that Jesus did so many things. They weren't even written in our Bible. He said, I wrote just enough that you would believe. But that Jesus did so many things that if all the books in the whole world recorded them, there wouldn't be enough books. I'm like, what? There wouldn't be enough. We, we, we see like the tippity tip of the tip of the iceberg. Oh, the smallest part of what God has done. There's so much more. And maybe heaven will be such a wonderful experience of just learning and seeing the things that God has done. Because we don't know them all, that's for sure. Verse 3. Praise him with trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Do you have any lyres here? I don't think it means that. I think it means a stringed instrument. Praise him with the trumpet sound. You know why the trumpet sound? The trumpet was the loudest instrument. Oh, man, when they blew the trumpet, you could hear it for miles. As a matter of fact, the trumpet was a very important instrument back in the first century. It was used to rouse the armies of battle. The trumpet gave the wake-up call. Wake up! Matter of fact, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you know what's going to happen? At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. It speaks of the rapture. That when the rapture happens, it's going to follow the third trumpet blast, and then those that have been buried in Christ, the dead, up. And those that are alive on the earth, gone. In the blink of an eye, gone. Now, why does Paul say at the last trumpet? This is taken from the Roman military. The Roman military army was so large. I mean, it, it consisted of other nations and other languages. That's why the Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in was created by Alexander the Great because his army was so large, 
He needed a common language. So what they would use, they would use a trumpet blast to communicate with the troops. Trumpet blast number one, wake up! It would rouse the troops, reveille. All you soldiers, wake up! Then the second trumpet blast, fall in! So now they got all their gear, their weapons, they're dressed for battle, and they're all lined up and they're ready to go. And then the third trumpet blast, move out! And they'd march. And that's why Paul said, at the last trumpet, you know what that means? Number one, we should all be awake spiritually. We shouldn't have to be roused. We should all be awake. Number two, we should all be ready. We should be ready to go. Are you ready? You're packed up, ready to go. And then the third one, when it comes, go on. That's the level we live at. We live at a level of being ready to go and meet Christ in the air. We can't be like, oh, wait, Lord, not now. I just got this last thing I got to do. No, we, we are already in formation in our heart. We're in formation. Are you living that way? Are you living that if the Lord called us right now, you'd be like, let's go. I'll be like, oh man, I just started my vacation. Oh, I was just going to retire tomorrow. I'll have to go to heaven now. You know? No, we are to live with a spirit and a spirit of readiness. That's how we live. We are ready to go. So that's why we praise Him. And we praise Him loudly. Loudly. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God likes our mumbles. He likes loud praises. This means that we are not ashamed to worship. We're not. Don't ever be embarrassed about anything that has to do with God. You know, if somebody was embarrassed about you, how would you feel? You'd feel rather rejected, lowly. Why, why am I an embarrassment to you? You know, it's not a good feeling. And if we're embarrassed by God, well, what does that say? Never be embarrassed. Pray for your food in the restaurant. Who cares who's looking? I know when I see people pray in the restaurant, I'm inspired. I'm like, wow, I like that. They encourage me when I see that. You can be an encourager. Pray for your food around your family at holidays, even if they're not saved. So what? If we don't make our faith real, how is anybody else going to take our faith seriously? They won't. They'll never take it. If we're not serious, no one else will ever see it as serious either. So don't ever be ashamed of God. So we praise Him loudly. In verse 4, praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Now, dancing was a very big part of the ancient Israelite culture. And uh, dancing involves the hands and the feet, the whole body. It was jubilant worship. So today we would say when we worship God, we do it in a happy way, in a joyful way. That we are jubilant about worshiping God. Why? Not because our lives are perfect, because they're not. 
Not because your back doesn't hurt, because it does. Not because your blood pressure didn't come down, because it didn't. But we worship God for who he is. We worship God for his excellence and his greatness and his providence over our lives. That's why we worship him. This psalm is not about worshiping God because of us. It's about worshiping God because of him. Because of him. When you love somebody, it's because of them. You love them. When we worship God, it's about him. When David came back from battle in 1 Samuel 21, 12, the people sang a song. Matter of fact, I think it made it to number one on the ancient billboard chart. <laughs> and it kind of went like this. Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, here it comes, Saul has slain his thousands. Yes, Saul. And David, his ten thousands. Yeah, David. Oh, you know what? Saul hated that song. Because they ascribed more victories to David than Saul. And Saul was a king. So they see, he sees David getting a little elevated. And Saul just could not celebrate with David what a great warrior he was. What a great soldier. Couldn't celebrate that. He didn't understand. You know what? When you walk with God... You weep with those that weep, and you rejoice with those that rejoice. You come into their life, and you share their experiences, and you share their emotions. There's no contention. There's no animosity. There's no competition. They didn't have the body of Christ like we do, but in the body of Christ, there's no competition. We're not competing. We're working together. Everybody has their own gift, their own talent, their own place, their own calling. And no one outdoes somebody else, but when we work together, it's called a healthy body. So it doesn't matter who's slain their ten thousands and who's slain their thousands. We rejoice in all of those. But that's something Saul couldn't understand. But the point is, when David came back from battle, they were singing and dancing and celebrating and rejoicing for the victories that they brought. Then, in 2 Samuel 6.14... They brought the Ark of the Covenant back home. Now, that was a biggie. The Ark of the Covenant, that was the presence of God in that Ark. And um, it says, David was dancing before the Lord. Jubilant worship. He was so happy, he couldn't contain himself. He was dancing before the Lord because they brought the Ark back. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which means... He wasn't really dressed like a king should be. He's dressed kind of like in his um, lounges. You know, the lounges, is that what they call them? The things you wear around the house. Nowadays, people wear them out, but they wear, you know, I've seen people with the lounges in their slippers out in the store. I'm like, did you forget to get dressed? That's what I want to say. But of course, I don't because I'm smart. But, you know, but that's basically where, what David was probably wearing, something like that. But in verse 15, it said, so David and all the house of Israel, they were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. There it is again. The trumpet. Making their worship loud. Making it heard as far as it could go. But then sadly, 
Something happened. In the next verse, David's wife looked out the window and saw him dancing. And you know what the Bible says? She despised him every day after that. She was embarrassed because David was worshiping God. She was embarrassed. See what I said about don't be ashamed of God? She was humiliated. Why was she humiliated? Because she wasn't walking with God. Just like Lot's wife. When you read the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel came, came to Lot and said, Lot, take your family and head for the mountains because God's going to destroy the city. He's going to rain down fire and brimstone. So he told his family, and the angel said, when you run, don't look back. Head for the mountains and don't look back. Well, they took off and they're heading for the mountains. And his wife had to get that one final look. And you probably know the story. She looked back, saw the city, and then turned into a pillar of salt. And why did she do that? Why did she have to look back? You know why? That's where her heart was. Her heart was in the city. It was in the city of wickedness, but that's where her heart was. That's where David's wife's heart was. It wasn't with God. It was in the world. See, where our heart is will determine quite a bit about our life. It'll determine two things about our life. It'll determine our present circ circumstances on the earth, and it'll also determine our eternal destination. Oh, the heart is so important. That last look could be the one that really mm, penalizes you. In verse 5, the band plays on. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. We know what loud cymbals are. You crash them together. Resounding cymbals is when you, these, these are the big ones, and you get these mallets, and you're like, you know, start off slow. They get louder and louder and louder. You don't hit those. You kind of like roll on them, and it comes up in like a roar. So we get all kinds of symbols going on here in our worship. I like the way Charles Spurgeon describes this. He said, Praise has beaten the timbrel, swept the harp, and sounded the trumpet. And now for a last effort, awakening the most heavy of slumbers and startling the most indifferent of onlookers. So he's saying, you know what the symbols do? They wake up the sleepers, the sleepy heads, the symbols. What was that? Wake them up. What was that noise? We're worshiping God. Oh, I was sleeping while you were worshiping. She dashes together the discs of brass and with sounds both loud and high proclaims the glory of the Lord. See what worship does? The symbols wake up the non-participants. 
There's always non-participants in the worship. Always. Maybe you're one. I don't know. I don't look. But a non-participant is kind of like a non-participant. Matter of fact, it's exactly like a non-participant. So don't be a non-participant. Participate. Why? Because it's about God. Oh, for one short time in our life, we're doing something that's not about us. We're doing something that's about him. And then in verse 6, here comes the big finale. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Oh, very good. Everything. Praise him. Everyone. And in every place. It's, it's like whatever God gave breath to, praise him. This will be the final triumph of his church. Ending with praise. The final triumph finds us praising God. And then he wraps up the psalm. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. Bring us to a place, Lord, where our story is praise and worship. Bring us to a place where we bask in worship and we never be ashamed, never be embarrassed to sing songs of praise to you, to acknowledge you, to thank you for who you are in our lives and especially for the salvation that you've offered us through your son, Jesus Christ. And for those that have not experienced that, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Right now. To know that Jesus died for you. Like I said earlier, God made you excellent, perfect, beautiful in his sight. Now he offers you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. What a shame not to have that gift and go through life and then end and go into an eternity without God. So I want to give you that opportunity right now. Just pray a prayer. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. Just pray, God, I know I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior. I believe He is God and He came in the flesh went to a cross, shed his blood, died for my sins. They buried him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave. <clears throat> so God, I'm coming to you right now. And I'm asking you to forgive me, accept me, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Because of him and his death on the cross, I ask you to forgive me and save me. Amen. And that is it. That is talking to God, asking God for the blessing of eternal life, forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope this message meant something to you. It did to me. I liked it. I hope you like it. And I hope I can see you next time for more of New Hope Radio. <laughs>